Amen. I invite you to take your seat. And uh, if you would take your copy of Scripture and turn now to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. And we will be uh, this morning looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 to 26. Chapter 1, verse 18 to 26. If you're using uh, one of the Bibles that's provided there for you, you'll find our passage on page 980. And uh, we are continuing our series in the book of Philippians, uh, just working through it one passage at a time. And this morning, uh, we come to Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 18 to verse 26. I'll begin reading for us in verse 18. And uh, please listen attentively as we read God's Word. Verse 18, Paul writes, What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amen. This is God's Word. Well, most people, if you think about it, most people have a principle or maybe even principles that whether consciously or unconsciously, they live their lives by. So they have a principle or principles that kind of determine the way they perceive the world and govern the decisions that they make. So this is a very popular concept. In fact, if you just look a little bit online, you'll find that there are any number of life principles that people would encourage you to live by. I'll give you just a few examples. Uh, one life principle is love more. Another is be vigilant with your thoughts. Another, practice mindfulness. Attitude is everything. Be of service to others. Character is more important than reputation. Make peace with the past. Happiness comes from within. Surround yourself with great people. Be here and now. Practice gratitude. Forgive yourself and others. Honor your feelings. Discover and live your purpose. Be kind to everyone you meet. Now, some of those are maybe not so great. And others actually are really helpful and good principles to, to govern and, and guide your life. I wonder as I read those different principles, life principles that individuals would advocate that we live by. I wonder if any of those you particularly identify with more than the others. What is a life principle that you have chosen to live by? 
that's governing your decisions, that's determining the way that you view the world. We're studying Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And one of the questions naturally we might ask is, well, what about the Apostle Paul? When it comes to this whole idea of life principles, was there a principle that governed Paul's life? Was there a principle that Paul chose to live by? I mean, it's, dif- it's difficult to imagine many uh, other people that would have had a greater impact on the history of the world than the Apostle Paul. So what was it that drove him? What was it that guided his life? What was Paul's life principle? Well, in chapter 1, verse 21... I think here we see Paul's approach to life captured probably better than anywhere else in Paul's writings, or as well as anywhere else in Paul's writings. We see there in chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes these words, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now that, my friends, is a revolutionary principle to live by. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now I want us to consider that principle this morning in the historical circumstances in which Paul wrote these words, and then I want us to consider its meaning and significance for not only Paul's life, but our life as well. So first of all, we'll consider to live is Christ, and then secondly, to die is gain. First of all, to live is Christ. Now, the English translations here don't quite capture the rhetorical punch of Paul's words in verse 21. Actually, in the original, in the Greek, the verb in both of these statements is not provided. So, literally, the text reads this way. To live, Christ. To die, gain. As one commentator, we insert the word is there in English, which is right and good to do. But as one commentator puts it, quote, the absence of a verb may be filled in many ways. To live is Christ. To live means Christ. To live depends on Christ. To live honors Christ. The foundation, the center, the purpose, the direction, the power, and the meaning of Paul's life is Christ. Certainly, life so transformed and empowered by Christ is life on a higher level and of a different quality than common, ordinary human life. End of quote. I love that quote. What Paul is saying here is that his life is is centered in Christ, the foundation of his life is Christ, the meaning, the purpose, the significance of his life is Christ. All of his life is wrapped up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And what is it about a life that is so given over to Christ that makes it on a higher level or makes it more deep and rich and full than just an ordinary life. Well, well, there's so much that we could say about this, but I just, want, I just want to mention a couple of things that I believe we can deduce from Paul's, writings, he, Paul's words here and his larger writings of, of what it means that to live is Christ. So, so I would say that what it means to live is Christ means at least two things. It means communion with Christ and it means service for Christ. 
So to live as Christ means communion with Christ, and it means service for Christ. First of all, it means communion with Christ. Now, remember that when Paul wrote this letter, he was under house arrest. So Paul was in prison. And most scholars believe that Paul was in prison at this time in Rome, and then he would eventually be released. Then he would be captured again and imprisoned in Rome. And then that second imprisonment in Rome would lead ultimately to his death, to his martyrdom. Now, in Paul's second imprisonment in Rome... Paul wrote another letter, and he wrote this letter to a young pastor named Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, Paul writes there about his experience in prison, in his second imprisonment, and listen to what Paul says. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. So Paul's in prison. He's, he's facing his, his martyrdom. He's, he's going to be put on trial. He's ultimately going to die for Jesus. He says, at my first defense, no one stood by me. All deserted me. I was all alone. And then he says in the very next verse, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul says, there's a connection here, right? Paul's in prison again and Paul says, everyone deserted me. No one stood by my side, but the Lord was with me. He was with me in my darkest hour when no one else would stand with me. It reminds me of the experience of another faithful Christian. His name was John Patton, and he was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the 19th century. It was a very dangerous work. The New Hebrides Islands were uh, full of, of cannibals. Those were the individuals that Patton was going to evangelize and to tell uh, the gospel, the good news of the gospel. And one night, a group of the islanders on the New Hebrides Islands were searching for Patton, and they had determined to kill him. And so there were hundreds of them that had mobilized. They had uh, knives, they had uh, muskets, and Patton was trying to flee from them, and he found a tree that he could climb up into, and he hid himself in the top of the tree. And as he's up in the top of the tree, he can hear the islanders moving around. He can hear them searching for him and talking. And years later, reflecting on that experience, he wrote these words, quote, the hours spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yell of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe in the arms of Jesus." Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among the chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. 
If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence to enjoy his consoling fellowship. End of quote. And then Patton presses us with this question. Quote, listen to this. If thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? End of quote. My friends, in our study of the book of Philippians so far, we've seen that although Paul is a man in prison repeatedly over and over again, he has spoken of his joy. He's spoken of rejoicing, even in the midst of unpleasant circumstances. And this is one of the critical reasons why Paul could have joy even in the midst of prison. Because he had a friend who even in his darkest hour would not forsake him. To live as Christ means, at least in part, it means communion. Personal, spiritual communion with the living Christ. Paul could say, even while he was in prison, the Lord stood by my side. He is a friend who will never leave me. Secondly, to live as Christ not only means communion with Christ, but to live as Christ means service for Christ. It means service for Christ. This is actually a particular emphasis in our passage. So if you look at verse 21, Paul says there, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But then follow in the very next verse, verse 22, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And then if you skip down to verses 24 and 25, Paul goes on, Pursuing this same thought, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So what we learn here is that for me to live as Christ is not only about my personal experience with Jesus, although it is about my personal communion with Jesus, But for me to live as Christ is also about service for Jesus. And that's what Paul particularly speaks about and emphasizes here in these verses. Notice how he directly relates the two. For to me to live as Christ, which means to live as fruitful labor. Fruitful labor for you. Fruitful labor for your progress and your joy in the faith. That's what it means To live is Christ. It means living in such a way that I serve and love others for the sake of Jesus. And again, of course, we see here that Paul is following the example of Jesus himself. I mentioned it last week that in Philippians chapter 2, which we'll be getting to in just a few weeks, that there we kind of find the the thematic uh, center of the letter of Philippians. Because in Philippians chapter 2, Paul paints for us there a portrait of the Lord Jesus and presents him to us as an example to follow. And and that, that idea then is woven through the whole letter of Philippians. 
So in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And what is the mind of Jesus? Paul goes on to explain. The mind of Jesus is a mind of humility. Where Jesus, who was God himself, did not uh, hold on to his own rights, but he surrendered. He surrendered his rights for our sake. Although he was God, he humbled himself and he became a man and he died on the cross for all those who would repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in him as Savior and Lord. And here we see in these verses that Paul is following the example of Jesus himself. Paul is willing to delay his reward of going to be with Jesus in heaven for the sake of the Philippians so that he might stay and minister for their spiritual growth and their spiritual joy. So for the Apostle Paul, an essential part of what it means for, uh, that, that life lived for Christ, a life lived for Christ is a life lived in service for others. Now, let me just ask you, what would it look like if we were to approach our lives in a similar way? And I trust that many of you here this morning are. As I think about this, I think that if we were to live our lives this way, it would begin with us recognizing that for most of us, there is almost an endless amount of good that we can do for the sake of others. Have you ever considered this? I mean, oftentimes I feel that the opportunities I have to do good are only limited by my own finitude and time. I mean, think about it. Every single morning when you wake up, you can get your Bible out and you can read it and you can pray. You can seek the Lord. You can seek the Lord for yourself. You can seek the Lord on behalf of others. When you go to school, when you go to college, you can live your life before your classmates for the sake of Jesus. When you go to your job, you can work as unto the Lord out of love for God and out of love for your boss and your coworkers so that you do the best work you can. You can invest in another Christian, get together with them for lunch or for breakfast. You can disciple another believer. You can read the Bible with your family. You can think about this. There are about, there's a little more than this, but about 250 members in our body here at Crawford Avenue. You could write them a note. You could call them. You could reach out to them in some way. You could do it with one or three or five or ten. Or if you don't have anything to do, you could do it with all of them. There is every day almost an endless amount of possibilities for good before us. And my friends, we should just wake up in the morning and just, honestly, for me sometimes it's overwhelming. I think, Lord, there is so much opportunity for good that lies before me today. What will I choose? Listen, we should live our lives with a sense of gratitude and gratefulness that every single day provides us with the opportunity to live in service for Jesus for the sake of others' faith and joy in Christ. 
And therefore, life has meaning. It has purpose. It has significance. You can invest in your children every single day. You can love and serve your spouse in unique ways every single day. Some of you might be discouraged. Some of you might be depressed this morning. Let me encourage you. This is one reason to get out of bed in the morning. This will give you hope, has the potential to give you hope and move you out of bed in the morning. There are endless possibilities to do good for Jesus today. Let me get up and get to it for the sake of Christ. To live as Christ means not only personal communion with Christ. To live for Christ means service for Christ. Joyful service for Christ for the sake of others. So that they might grow in their faith and joy in Him. Now, second big point. To live is Christ. Secondly, to die is gain. To die is gain. Now, again, I'll suggest that to die is gain. So I said that to live is Christ. We focused on two possible things that 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 can mean. Communion with Christ, service for Christ. I want to suggest a couple of things here as well. What does it mean to die as gain? I would like to suggest that it means, one, to glorify Christ in our death, and it means to be forever with Christ. So it means to glorify Christ, and it means to forever be with Christ. So first of all, to die as gain means to glorify Christ. So, notice in verse 20 that Paul says there, As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Here it is, whether by life or by death. So Paul's hope is that Christ will be glorified in him, whether by life or by death. And so we know from what Paul writes here that in his present circumstances while he's in prison, Paul is hopeful that he will be released, but he's not certain. He doesn't know how all this is going to play out. However, if he's not released, then Paul envisions his death as a final opportunity to make much of Jesus. As one commentator states it, quote, Paul viewed his suffering and death as a gain for the advance of the gospel because he expected that his death would be his final and most effective witness for Christ, end of quote. And so Paul's torn, right? And we see this in the text. Paul says, listen, I I want, the Lord may allow me to live or or he may take me, but which I choose, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Because I prefer to stay, I want to stay so that I can invest in you and invest in your life and invest in your faith so I can pour myself into you for your good. But if the Lord takes me, I am confident it won't be a loss. I trust that the Lord will use my death for good to glorify Christ. Therefore, my premature death will not be a loss for Jesus. It will not be a loss for the sake of the gospel It will be a gain. It will be a win for Jesus. Now, based on what Paul said in the previous verses that we looked at last week, what Paul said there about his imprisonment, we can assume that Paul believed 
that even in his death, that God would use his death for the Philippians' spiritual good. Do you remember what Paul said about his imprisonment? Last week, as we looked at those verses, Paul said that God had been using his imprisonment in such a way that he was able to share the gospel with the imperial guard in Rome. And not only that, but God had been using his imprisonment, this confinement, this restriction, which we would think is necessarily a bad thing. God says, or Paul says, actually God is using it to embolden the brothers so that other Christians are more bold to share their faith and to speak Christ with others. And so we can assume that that Paul believes here that part of the way that Christ will be glorified in his death is that Christ will not only, not only in the same way that he's used his imprisonment, that Christ will also use his death to encourage the Philippians for their spiritual good, for their spiritual advancement. And listen, if you're a Christian, I think this is very helpful in terms of how we should think about our own deaths. This is very helpful. We have to accept, along with the Apostle Paul here, if we are to be faithful to the Lord, we have to accept that our death, even our premature death, might do more to glorify Christ and accomplish spiritual good in the lives of those we care about than even our lives could. I imagine that for most of us, and this is why I think this is an important point, I imagine that for most of us, one of the greatest fears that we have in death is the fear of how our death might affect those that we leave behind. Whether it's our spouse or our children or or others maybe that have been entrusted to our care. How will our death affect the lives of of those we leave behind? How will our absence affect them? And let me just say that, that in one sense, that's a, that's a good concern. That is a good and right concern. And we should do what we can so that if we were to leave this life prematurely, they would be cared for and they would be provided for. There's actually this beautiful scene right at the cross. It's a tender moment where Jesus is dying on the cross and he looks to Mary, his mother, and he says to Mary, behold your son. And he's referring to John the disciple who's standing there beside her. And then he looks to John the disciple and he says, behold your mother. And John tells us that from that day forward, Mary went with John and John cared for Mary as though she were his mother. And so here you have Jesus dying on the cross, giving his life. And in that moment, he has a particular concern and care for his mother. And he wants to make sure that as he departs from this world, that she will be cared for. So that's good and that's right. One of the things we notice in Jesus' death, and even the concern that he has for his mother, that his concern that he has for his mother does not then become a paralyzing fear that keeps him from doing what God is clearly calling him to do, namely to lay down his life. He's 32, 33 years old. This, This, in everybody's mind, would be perceived as a premature death. But Jesus, the Apostle Paul here, believes that God has a higher purpose, 
that he can use his death even for good in the lives of those that he might leave behind. And so the Apostle Paul, you think about it, what is Paul concerned about in these verses? Why is Paul hesitant to leave this world? He's concerned about those he might leave behind. Paul was not married, he doesn't have children, but, as best we know, we don't know that Paul had children, but who is he concerned for? Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's been called to take the gospel to, to these people who have been far from God and haven't known God and haven't known the promises of God and God's blessed this work and now all these churches have emerged across the Mediterranean world at that time. But these churches are, are I mean, it's a very delicate situation. These churches are small. There's still conflict between Jewish and Gentile Christians in, in, in many of these churches. There's the pressure from Rome. There's, there's false teaching that threatens the integrity of these small local bodies. And what will happen to them? This is why Paul is struggling. What will happen to them if Paul is removed from the scene? If he can no longer go to them and preach and teach? If he can't write them letters anymore? If he's not there to give them instruction and direction? And so Paul's concerned for those he would leave behind. But Paul has a greater hope. Paul recognizes that, yes, in life he would be a benefit to them, and that's what he desires is to stay. But he also trusts that if God chooses to take him, that God will use his death to glorify Christ and that in glorifying Christ, I assume that part of what that means is it will be used for even their spiritual good. And so listen, my friends, if, if we are to face a premature death, and, and in a room this size, some of us surely will, we can, by God's grace, trust in that moment that if we, if we die in the Lord, that is, if we die trusting the Lord and loving the Lord and serving the Lord and hoping in the Lord, the Lord can use even our death to bring about more spiritual good in those that we care for the most than our lives did. And so we don't have to sinfully hold on to and cling to this life. But we, like Paul, can let it go. And we can say, listen, I long to stay. I long to stay and invest and pour in you and, and serve you for the sake of Christ. But if Christ takes me sooner, I trust that my death will not be a loss, but it will be a gain. It will be a gain for the glory of Christ and it will be a gain for your spiritual good. The second aspect of what it means that death is gain is not only does it mean that our death is used for the glory of Christ, but it means that we are forever with Christ. Look there in verses 22 to 23. And this is what Paul writes. So he says that to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then in verse 22 and 23 he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Now here it is. 
My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And of course, my friends, this is the ultimate reason why for the Christian death is gain. Death means to depart and to be with Christ. As Paul puts it here very clearly, that is far better. Paul states it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And so this is the reason in Paul's mind why ultimately death is gain. Because it means to be with Christ. It means to be at home with the Lord. In fact, this is the reason why heaven is heaven. All the things you may have heard about heaven, that there's great desserts and endless naps, and you get to play your favorite sport, whatever it might be, none of those things compare to this. This is why heaven is heaven, because Christ is there. That's heaven, because Christ is present and we are in his presence forever. Heaven is to be home at home with the Lord. And this is the Christian's greatest hope, personal, perfect, and unbroken communion with the living Christ forever. And therefore, as the Apostle Paul teaches us here, death does not mark the end of our lives and the end of joy for the Christian, but rather death is a gateway to everlasting life and everlasting joy. It's remarkable that the Apostle Paul could write a letter from prison and that that letter could exude so much joy. But when we consider the principle that governed his life, it begins to make sense. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Everyone has a life principle. Everyone has... Life principles, maybe. Maybe you have two or three. That determine the decisions you make. And how you perceive the world. How you invest your time. What is the life principle that you're living by? Maybe it's been unconscious. Maybe you've not really thought about it before. You've just been doing it. But if you, if you take enough time to just pause and reflect you will find that there is a principle that you are living your life by. There is a principle that is determining the choices you are making. My prayer is that for each one of us, and for as a church as a whole, that we would wave this banner over our lives. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You for the life of the Apostle Paul. Lord, we're reminded this morning that the choices we make, the way we spend our time, where we find ourselves even now in life, is not by accident. We have some very foundational, fundamental beliefs 
that are governing our lives. Well, Father, I pray that you would reveal where those foundational principles that we're building our lives on, maybe they're, maybe they're just sinful. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that and we would repent. And then, Lord, help us to discern where maybe they're just misguided off a bit here or there. And, Lord, help us to find a firm foundation in this reality that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, and Lord, that by your grace we would see that if we were to give our lives to such a purpose as this, oh Lord, that that would be a life worth living, that we would have no regrets. Lord, help us to do so. Help us to do so as individuals, as families, as a church. May this be our battle cry in life. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray.